Go and make disciples of all nations. Last Sunday, we kicked off our new sermon series for a new year that we're going to be focusing not only in this year, but in the years to come, the decade to come, on the theme of disciple-making, right? You understand that? You remember that? You're nodding your heads. This is language that's becoming more and more familiar to us. And we talked about Jesus' last parting shot to his friends on that mount in Matthew chapter 28 that we call the, the Great Commission. But if we are convinced that Jesus was speaking not just to those 11 disciples that were gathered around him that day, but in fact he was speaking to all disciples for all time, then one of the things we're going to have to grapple with is the question of what does that go mean? When Jesus says go and make disciples, what does that go mean? And I know I'm repeating myself, but if you weren't here last Sunday, it's really important that you understand this. And if you were here last Sunday, it is really important that you remember this. So I'm going to repeat myself. And for my friends who are up in this portion of the balcony, I'm sorry that my great idea is not working so well for you, but just imagine what I'm doing down here. I'm sitting down, and I'm sitting with my dad, and I'm sitting with my nephew, and I'm sitting among friends. And some people believe that go means that I have to get up from all that I know, all that I love, and I have to walk out this way somewhere to some foreign country that I don't know. Today we'll be talking to Tirsa, who's one of our missionaries, and, and that's great, but are all of us called? Is that what go means, that we have to get up and leave and go to another nation in order to be faithful to that call? Others think that go means this. We're seated among the people that we know and love in the relationships that we've built but go means, well, I've got to get up from that and I've got to go find a stranger, kind of like a, a door-to-door Bible salesman. And we're you know, not exactly comfortable with that, but that must be what go means, right? No, it's not what it means. And as I tried to share last week, when, when you look at that word, it means something very different. What was the word? When Jesus says go, what does the real word mean? In your going... The literal translation of the Great Commission is in your going, as you go. In other words, Jesus says, as you go about the making of your life, as you go about the making of your family, the making of your friendships, the making of your career, the making of your joy, in your going, make disciples. Along the way, make disciples. Now, that'll still be frightening for some of us, won't it? It's still uh, maybe a little daunting for those of us who've always lived our spiritual lives privately and inwardly. And for those of us who are a little intimidated because we don't think we have all of the answers, we, we don't know how we're going to respond, it still can be a little daunting. But it does change everything. If we understand that our starting point for our going, our starting point to obey the call of Jesus to every single disciple, to be a disciple maker of his, our starting point is to do it beginning with the friends that you have, the relationships you have, the people that you already love. That should be an encouragement to us, shouldn't it? That's a, that's a, that's a place that we can begin, less daunting. I want to start uh, again by reminding us of the definition of disciple-making that I shared with you. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, Disciple-making is intentionally sharing your life in Jesus with someone you already know and love in order to accompany them to a deeper place spiritually. 
Let's say it together. Go. This intentionally sharing your life in Jesus with someone you already know and love in order to accompany them to a deeper place Spirit. Does that make sense to you? This is the call of discipleship. It doesn't mean you have to be the, the, the Bible answer man. It doesn't have to be a great evangelist, a great missionary. It means that you walk with the people you know and love already. You are intentional about sharing your life and your love with Christ so that you can together move to a deeper place spiritually. That's what we are talking about. That's what we have launched this January. And and we decided that the, the only way that we're going to be able to share what our life with Christ is to begin by knowing a little bit more about who Jesus is. So that's what this 90-day challenge has been all about. As If you're visiting with us or you're new to Bible stuff and churchy stuff, we have some books in our Bible called the Gospels. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are 89 chapters in those Gospels. These are the stories of Jesus, of His teaching, of His healing, His preaching ministry, His power, His death, His resurrection. All of the stuff, nearly everything that the Bible teaches about Jesus and His life is, is found in those Gospels. And so we've said, let's learn better who Jesus is. If we're going to lead people to a deeper place spiritually, let's learn better who He is. So that's what we're doing. That's what this is about. Last week, we printed a lot of these, and you took them all. We ran out. We printed some more. They're back there, which is great. Presumably, that's because you wanted to take us up on our challenge for you to journey with someone in this 90-day challenge. So what you do, one day, every day, one chapter of the gospel. We started with Matthew chapter 1 last Monday. One chapter of the gospel per day. So we've covered seven chapters of Matthew this week. And you read it, and then you write down two things. What did I learn about Jesus? And what did I learn about disciple-making? It doesn't get much simpler than this, right? How many of you sometime in this week, last week, read some part of Matthew chapter 1 through 7? Awesome! Look at that! All right, here's, here's the test. How many of you read all seven chapters of Matthew? You guys are awesome. See, you're the sweetheart church. This is what pastors long for. To tell their people to do something, they do it. How much it just doesn't get better than that. Good for you. How many of you have gone to our blog and read a few comments of, that I've made on the blog? Have you found those helpful? And I have found very helpful in encouraging your responses. And you've, all, you've even done what we've asked, which is to tonight not write war and peace on the blog. You know, it's three or four sentences, and you're just giving us all an insight of how God is speaking to you. That's, it's terrific. I'm so proud of you and so excited about what God is doing. So if you haven't started, it's not too late. You can get one back there. You can catch up. Seven chapters ain't that much. Or you just start right where you are. But now's the, now is your time. And I'll just say this, there will never be, I don't think, an easier or more encouraging way for you to begin the discipline of reading God's Word on a regular basis. They say if you do something 30 days, it becomes a habit for life. We're going to do it for 90 days. We're just going to beat this habit right into you. You won't know what to do without reading the Bible every day. So this is good. This challenge means that the next three months of our sermons are going to be different. Because each week prior, we are covering seven chapters of Scripture. So the sermon is going to be dealing with seven chapters of Scripture every week for three months until Palm Sunday is done. Which means that starting today and until Easter Sunday, every sermon is going to be three hours long. So I just want to... (laughs) 
you know, settle in, relax. You can bring your coffee into the sanctuary during this time if, if that would be... Now, obviously, we can't cover all seven chapters that we've covered. I mean, just think of what we've been in this last week. The, the Christmas story, the, the story, the ministry of John the Baptist, the temptation of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a whole fall in the Sermon on the Mount. We can't do that. And anyhow, this is a new way for us to look at the Word. We, we always look at the Word like ground level. We're going to rise up here about 30,000 feet and we're going to see themes that weave themselves through God's Word and through the Gospels, okay? And the theme that we're going to be looking at this week, and we encouraged you to look for this last week, the theme is intentionality. Intentionality. Say intentionality. I want to go back to our definition of disciple-making, okay? Disciple-making is intentionally sharing your life with Jesus, with someone you already know and love in order to accompany them to a deeper place spiritually, all right? There's that word, intentionally. Intentionally. What do we mean? Intentionally. Jesus made disciples on purpose. He wasn't slapdash about it. It wasn't happenstance. Jesus made disciples on purpose. And so I'm going to give you this little working definition of intentional. Intentionality or intentional means spiritual progress on purpose. Say that with me. Spiritual progress on purpose. Doing it on purpose. Listen, intentionality, you've got to hear this, it is essential to disciple making. I dare say it's it's essential to your own discipleship. It's absolutely essential for disciple making. And so the question I hope in a few moments, not three hours, you know, in another 20 minutes or so, when you walk out of here, I hope the question that will be on your heart and stirring you for the week to come will be this one. Am I living my life of discipleship intentionally? Am I an intentional disciple maker or not? What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. And you test yourself against this. I think that most disciples of Jesus live haphazard spiritual lives. Now, maybe that's not fair, but, but I'm just going to toss it out there and, and you can decide what, how, how close that falls to you. Most disciples of Jesus, they live haphazard spiritual lives. They may be focused and intentional in so many other ways. The pursuit of their career, the pursuit of their education, the pursuit of, of creating the family that they long to or setting aside money for retirement or, or all kinds of things that they're very focused, very intentional about. And yet these same disciples, when it comes to their spiritual life, live haphazard spiritual lives. In fact, it probably looks, they are bouncing from one spiritual experience to another without real intention. And it probably looks something like this. This is a very ancient device. How many know what that is? Yeah. How many people do you think will raise their hand second service? How many were an awesome pinball player in their day? I was an awesome pinball player. I'll take any of you on. I used to skip choir. At co- I'm sorry, at college. I'm sorry, Margie. I skipped choir to play 1776, and I was tough. I was tough. That's great if you're playing pinball. It's lousy if that's the way you live your spiritual life. 
If he's just kind of rebounding from thing to thing to thing. And one of the things that we discover as we are reading through the Gospels of Jesus is how intentional he was, how on purpose he lived. And I dare say that we find intention throughout the first seven chapters of Matthew that we just read. Think about it for a moment. Matthew chapter 1. It's, it's kind of famous or infamous because it's the one that has the, all the genealogy in it. And you say to yourself, that is so boring. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it certainly tells you this, that when we're looking at genealogies that go back thousands of years, it tells us that God was planning this a long time ago, this coming of Messiah. That's intentional, isn't it? Chapter 2, we read Jesus' other name was what? Do you remember in Matthew? Emmanuel, which means... God with us, which means God was planning on coming to be with us. That was his intent. Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 3, Jesus goes to John to be baptized. Remember that part of the story? And did you hear the words of shock in verse 14? John says, you come to me? And you can imagine why, can't you? I mean, here's the Messiah. What in the world is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, coming to some... some, uh, some crazy, wild-haired, grasshopper leg sticking in his beard preacher. But you come to me, and Jesus says, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Intentional. I come to you on purpose. Even the song we sang earlier, uh, ask and it shall be given unto you, seek it. That comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount, which we read this week. Ask, seek, knock. Are those not words of intention? You have to choose to ask a question. You have to be intentional about seeking. You have to knock on the door if you want to get inside spiritually, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Through the whole of this reading, we find the intention of God, the intention of God, the intention of God. But nowhere do we find Jesus more intentional, perhaps, than in the call of the first disciples. And so we turn to Matthew chapter 4. Turn with me, please. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read the story of the call of the first disciples. Verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 18. Let's read this together. It's a short reading, and I love to hear your voices. Ready? Go. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, would you make these words come to life for us, and may we, as a result, live our lives on purpose, not bouncing from spiritual experience to spiritual experience, but living with intention as Jesus showed us how. For we ask it in his name, amen. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, a little podunk town, not even mentioned in the Old Testament, it's so teeny, weeny, tiny. But it was in this little fishing village of Capernaum, which, by the way, we will be sleeping in a couple weeks, a bunch of your friends and I. We will be sleeping near, right near here. It was in this little village of Capernaum, and you can visit the synagogue built upon the very site where Jesus preached his very first sermon there. 
It was here that Jesus began his preaching ministry and really based his spiritual, his spiritual work. It was here that he did his greatest miracles, his preaching, his healings, his exorcisms. So Capernaum, this was the place. This was the place. And as he walked along the shores of this beautiful Sea of Galilee, he was teaching and he was healing and he was casting out demons. As you might expect, he met lots of people. The Sermon on the Mount, which we read starting in chapter 5 of Matthew, tells us that crowds gathered, crowds gathered to hear him. Next week when you're reading about it, I think it might be Thursday or it might be next Sunday, the... the um, the feeding of the 5,000, we are told the 5,000 gathered on a hillside right near here. And Jesus, uh, 5,000 men plus their families, fed these folks miraculously. So already Jesus is making a name for himself. He's already making a real impact. And thousands and thousands of people know the name of Jesus, are coming from all distances to, to hear him, to be touched by him, to be healed by him. They got the crowds. So when it came time for Jesus to call some men as his disciples, he had thousands to choose from. He could have said, following his sermon on the mount, Hey, if anyone likes what I just said and would uh, like to come along with me and and be a part of this, uh, just raise your hand or, or, or you can fill out the blue card that you'll find in the rock in front of you. But he didn't ask for volunteers, did he? I'm pretty convinced that Jesus already knew Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. I don't think that this was the first time he'd run into them. But there was something that he saw in those men that he specifically wanted to call into his his ministry, into his life with him. And he approached them. We don't know why he did, but he approached them and he invited them to be his disciples. By the way, this is not the way it was done. In those days... It was the would-be suitors, the would-be apprentices who approached the rabbi and appealed to, applied, as it were, to to be considered to be one of his students. It was considered unbecoming, unseemly for a rabbi to do the approaching. And yet Jesus did exactly that. So even in that, he was breaking with convention. But it was Jesus who took the initiative. It was Jesus who intentionally reached out to these specific men. Do you see that? It was not a toss of the coin. It wasn't, hey, if any of you want to come along with me for the next three years, there are going to be some, it'll be a little rocky in the last few months, but it will be generally a pretty good ride. No, no, out of all the thousands of people Jesus met, he prayed. We know he prayed because we're told that he did in different places. He prayed and then he chose and then he marched out onto that lakeside and he looked for the men that he believed God had called him to himself And he invited, intentionally asked them to come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. And that's exactly what happened. Peter and James and John and Andrew, they said yes. There was some intention there, by the way. They put down their nets, they left their father, they left their boats, and they followed Jesus. There was some intention on that too, wasn't there? Then, of course, it changed history. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. One of the greatest moments of intention of my life occurred a few weeks after I had met my Cindy. Um, I was tired of dating. And, um, 
And I had seen something in Cindy that was pretty beguiling to me. So literally a few weeks after we had met, I, I headed over to PLU. She, I knew she was a last quarter student at PLU. So I headed over there, figured she might be studying at that time. So I just went to the library, had no idea where she was, and started walking up and down the, the, the stacks. Of, uh, that, I mean, this is how desperate I was, really. <laughs> I was trolling for a college, you know, so. So I finally found her and I asked her if she'd like to go to lunch and she said, yes, she would. And so I took her to lunch. We sat down and after we'd had a meal, mind you again, a few weeks after I'd met her, I said, you know, you have the qualities of a woman that I'd like to marry. She said, I have no interest in marrying you. So much for intention. But I'd like to point out that a few months later, she came crawling back to me. (laughs) And the rest is history. That's intention. It is the opposite of pinball. It is the opposite of being bounced about aimlessly. It is like a bullet. You aim and you fire and it goes straight to the target. And like I said, many of us live lives of intention in all aspects of our lives career and and family and all of those things, and yet we bounce around aimlessly when it comes to our spiritual life. I want to remind you, intention is spiritual progress on purpose. Spiritual progress on purpose. And intentional discipleship is going to look different depending upon where you are in your spiritual maturity, right? We're not all in the same places. Some of us are younger in the Lord. Some of us have been in the Lord a long time. And so it will mean different things for different folks. For instance, maybe you are like Peter and James and John and Andrew. You are hearing the call of Jesus to follow him really for the first time. Or better yet, you've heard it, but you've put it off. You've delayed it. Eh, You're just not going to make a decision. Intentionality might be for you saying, decide! You know, Joshua once said, decide this day what you will do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are you really going to go through life like this? Maybe, maybe not Jesus, maybe not Jesus. Jesus says, decide, make some intention. Last week, 17 people came forward to be baptized and profess their faith in Christ between our two services. That wasn't very Presbyterian. It was very Holy Spirit. And frankly, it was kind of messy. We ran out of towels. We almost ran out of baptismal water. I was just about down to, you know. uh. (laughs) Whatever it takes. Maybe your intention is to say yes to Christ. Finally, get off the dime. Maybe you're brand new in the Lord and you want to grow in your faith. You want to hear a very risky, intentional idea for you? You love the Lord, you're new in the Lord. Here's your, here's your intentional, risky, intentional idea. What if you were to go to some more mature Christian believer that you have spotted and say, you know, would you disciple me? Would you, would you be willing to teach me about how to live in Christ? I have watched you. I admire what I see in you. Would you teach me how to do that? The great thing is about that, you'll make them into a disciple maker immediately. And... That You can't get much more intentional than that. How about that? Some of the best decisions I've ever made were when I said, I'm going to ask someone to help me, to teach me about something I did not know. It takes intention to do that. Otherwise, just kind of glide along through life. 
Or maybe you are a lazy disciple, if you were to assess yourself. The root word of disciple is what? Discipline, yes. But if you were to look at your own spiritual life, you say, I have none. So you may or may not come to church on a Sunday morning, depending upon your mood, depending upon your distractions. You rarely open the Bible. You rarely pray. You count on other people around you to give money at the offering to support your church so that you can spend your money on your things. Maybe last week you picked up this journal. Maybe you intended to use it. Or maybe you just at least wanted to look like you intended to use it in front of everyone else. I mean, that would be pretty conspicuous. And yet you haven't cracked the Bible once this week. If that describes you, then could I just say, come on! What are you doing? There's nothing intentional about that kind of spiritual life. You are a pinball bouncing back and forth. How can you possibly hope to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised if you live that way? So for you, intentional discipleship might mean promising yourself, and by the way, since you obviously cannot do it on your own strength, finding an accountability partner and promising them that you're going to do the 90-day journey with them, the challenge. Or maybe promising yourself and an accountability partner that by God's grace, you will make Sunday morning worship the priority for your family instead of the after run. Or maybe you will finally admit that you need to do something that you have not done and you know you need to do, that in order to grow in your faith, you have, you, you have, you have got to get rid of some of the activity in your life. The fact is you don't have any space for discipleship or disciple-making. I talked to a woman this week and she said, you know, I was too proper for drugs and alcohol, so my drug of choice is busyness. Maybe your greatest act of spiritual intention would be to stop doing some good things in order to do the greater thing. To make room in your life to be a disciple instead of hiding behind your overfull schedule and that you yourself have created. But what if you're doing all these things? What if you're a faithful worshiper, you're a faithful tither, you're a faithful studier of God's word and prayer, you're, you're faithful in service? Are you, are you done then? You've shown real intention in your spiritual discipline. So maybe that's it. Maybe you're done. I would say absolutely not. You are on the threshold of the greatest experience of what it means to be a mature disciple maker and the disciple, and that is to become a disciple maker. And so to you, I would say, if this describes all of these things, you're doing these things, then I would say, put your head on a swivel. It's a, it's a phrase I use with our staff all the time. When we're looking for leaders, we're looking for volunteers. Keep your head on a swivel. Always be on the lookout for who God might draw into your life that you could influence, that you could walk with, that you could disciple. Stop thinking about your spiritual growth as your own thing, your internal, personal thing, and put your head on a swivel and notice who has God brought, just as Jesus did that day. He looked, he looked, he looked, he said, hmm, that Peter, hmm, that Andrew, hmm, that James, hmm, that John. Father, is that, yep, okay, here we go. I've told you about my grandpa Bert. He was my best friend growing up. And one of the things I loved about my grandpa Bert is that he was a gawker. He was a gawker. He would take long walks every day and he drank in everything. You just, all he had to do was watch him. The way he walked. He didn't walk with his head down. He walked with his head up. He was noticing people, waving to people, smiling people, having stories to tell when he got back home. He was notorious through walking, for walking through parking lots with speed bumps of tripping on the speed bumps 
Because he was never looking at where he was going. He was watching people, looking for people. We need to walk that way. Maybe you're at the point where your intentionality means that you lift your eyes up, not from the speed bumps of your life. You lift your eyes up to the people that God has brought into your presence so that you can walk with them. I heard this week from one mature believer who is trying to take this disciple-making challenge seriously. And so he has started a, he, he's, uh, started a small Bible study in his circle of real estate friends. He calls it Acre. Acknowledging Christ in real estate. Acre. And, and they're going to read the Gospel of Mark together. He said, I've never tried this before. They started with four people. Who knows? But that's intentional, don't you think? I talked with another business leader who said, I am seeking to be more intentional about sharing my Christian faith with my colleagues. And then I talked to a woman last week who took a bunch of these, which is why we had to reprint more, apparently. She took a bunch of these, shared them with her friends. They showed up on Monday night. That night, when four women opened the Scripture, four women who opened the Scripture that night because of this invitation, it was the first time all four of them had ever, ever, ever cracked a Bible. Isn't that awesome? And isn't that intentional? What would it be like if... All of this body began to live that kind of way. To live with their head on a swivel. To look for opportunities and grab them when the Lord presented them. I told you that our elders have been studying every Wednesday from 6 to 7.30. We are studying this stuff. We want to lead the way. We want to be living this out ourselves and, and not just telling you what to do. So every 6 to 7.30, seven, for 12 weeks, we're meeting and talking about it. And last week, our theme was intentional leadership. And one of the elders said, you know, I think it's kind of like a traffic light. I said, hmm? Traffic light. Green says go without thinking about it. Yellow says be careful, be, be alert. Red says stop. And he said, I think disciple making, living this way, intention, living intentionally, is like living life on the yellow light. It's being on constant alert about what God might be putting in front of us. So what will it be for you? Are you happy to be bouncing around like a pinball? Are are you ready to live your life on purpose? Are you ready to live life with intention? And one way for uh, you to begin that would be to simply ask yourself this question. Do I intend to be a faithful disciple of Jesus or not? What's the honest answer? Do I intend to be a faithful disciple of Jesus or not? And do I intend to be a disciple maker for Jesus as he equips me or not? The answer to your question is going to set the trajectory and the quality of your spiritual life forever. I long for our church to be more and more intentional. Walking together, living life, spiritual life on purpose. Spiritual progress on purpose. That is a longing that I have for all of you. I wonder if you share that. May the Lord use His Word, His example, to inspire us to that this day. Let us pray. Lord, I am just full. My heart is full when I see the hands of my brothers and sisters raised all across this room. Say, yep, I'm in. I'm reading this, and I'm learning, and I'm growing. I pray, Lord, for perseverance. One week is nice. This is a 90-day journey. So help us to hang in there. And Lord, help us to ask the hard questions about our lives. 
of what it means to live intentionally. What do I need to do on purpose that I am not presently doing? Would you tell us? And then would you empower us by your Spirit to be obedient? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.